before we finish up the, uh, the four reasons of incarnation, which won't won't take very long, the last two are pretty simple. <clears throat> um, I do want to touch on something because I've seen it in a couple papers. I'm still correcting the uh, the mere Christianity and mere Darwinism ones. I just want to be clear about something because some of you, I think, are not clear about this. That evolution is not a bad thing. Okay? And that as Christians, we can believe in evolution. That's fine. Okay? It's not, it's not to say that evolution is this terrible theory. It should be thrown out the... Or that, or that you know, Catholics don't... When they look at evolution, they don't trust science. And they just say, well, God created everything and that's it. That's not the argument. This is, I think what this is coming from, maybe, I don't know for sure. First of all, it's coming from stupid Catholics. That's the first thing. Shouldn't say stupid, ignorant, because most of the time they're not stupid. They just don't know. Okay? But more so, I think it's coming from fundamentalist Protestantism. The reason I say that is because fundamentalist Protestantism says sola scriptura, which means what? Scripture alone. Scripture only. Well, if that is your fundamental outtake, that's the way you look at life, what are you going to say about evolution? It's wrong. How did creation, how did the natural universe come about? The way that it says in the Bible. God created this, 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 and this, and then it was done. He said, this is awesome, and he took a nap. That's sola scriptura, sola fide, right? Sola fide. <clears throat> so this idea of only faith, only scripture. We as Christians, right, can believe in evolution. What is the only distinction that needs to be made in that? The mechanism God by which it's... The, the, what? What's that? I didn't hear. Whoa, God that was awesome. Right. God breathed the breath of life into man, which simply means what? That God created the rational soul. And that's what, that's what makes us different from all other animals. Okay? It all, the other thing, too, that we have to believe in evolution is simply that there is a God. And that He is guiding creation. How that all happens, I don't know. Just give me an example. My uncle, he's a pretty smart guy. He's the uh, chair of chemistry at Notre Dame. So he, uh, he actually like made like certain antibiotics. So the stuff that keeps you alive when you're really, really sick with the bacteria, he made some of those. He's working on a thing right now that's called the Trojan horse antibiotic. If this happens, I don't, I don't even know, the only reason I know this is because I talked to him. I don't even think it's out, it's not even public. But if this happens, what it is, it's an antibiotic that, that bacteria can't mutate. That's good news. That means this would be the antibiotic of all antibiotics. We would never have to develop another antibiotic. Because no, no bacteria, because what happens is, is the, the, the bacteria thinks that it's a cell that it wants and it goes after it. And as soon as everything's set and it's already replicating, doing all that crappy stuff it does, it all of a sudden would realize, boom, I'm dead. <clears throat> I don't know if they realize stuff, right? Because they're not <laughs> rational bacteria. Anyway, this guy is really, really smart. Now, when it comes to his faith, he's not a doctorate. Okay? And so him and I were having this conversation. Although sometimes God, he thinks he has a doctorate in theology. But anyway, we were talking and I said, his name is Marv. Marvin. I love that name. I said, Marv. Because we were talking about chemistry. I mean, the dude knows a lot about chemistry. In his doctorate, I just started to read his doctorate. He had a word that took an entire line of a page. You know, it's that dial hexa dibicarbonate, whatever. Anyway. I don't even know what he was writing about, but I put the book down because I felt too stupid to keep reading. <clears throat> and, but he said, he said to me, he said, do you really believe that creation happened the way it says in the Bible? And I said, well, I mean, I believe that God created. How he did that, I don't know, but I don't believe that I came from a monkey. And he said, well, he's like, maybe, you know, we can disagree here. He's, I said, you do believe we came from a monkey? He said, no. I mean, that's possible, I suppose. But what I believe is that carbon is at the basis of all matter, really. That carbon can answer a lot of quandaries we have about how creation happened. And so, he's, and I said, well, that, okay, that's cool. 
And he said, what makes me really believe in God is that he could put through a few principles of physics and certain molecules that he could make everything happen. And I thought, that's a really cool way of looking at it. You know, so this idea, you know, that there was the Big Bang or there was the soup and all of a sudden this, whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that God started it, God is guiding it, and God is bringing it to its ultimate fulfillment. That's what the Christian evolutionist has to believe. Whether you want to believe we came from fish or pigs or I don't care, but at some point we didn't just happen to start rationally thinking. God had to do something about that. And, and this is a big point of contention because for evolutionists, they don't have, they, they call this the theory of the missing link, right? The missing link is that link between the monkey, the ape, or whatever, and man. And what do they say about the missing link? Maybe you don't know this, I don't know. Chance? Huh? By chance? Well, yeah, I mean, everything was by chance. <clears throat> But this missing link is, is the thing that bridges the gap between apes and humans. Reason? Yeah, but what does that missing link look like? What would you have to prove about that missing link? That it could sort of think. That it could kind of reason. That it sort of had rudimentary sort of things, you know, like a cognitive, you know, rational thought, reflective consciousness. What's the problem with that? Well, even if there was an in-between. It's still there. No. There's no way to prove it. Why? Because what, what is the only evidence we have if we ever did find the missing link? Fossils. We have bones. You can't, I mean, and they can say, well, you can look at the cranial structure and you can say its brain was like this based on other brains and it might, but I'm like, come on, man. The missing link, this is why they call evolution a theory, because the missing link we can never find. We are never going to find that being there was halfway between. You know, even they're like, Lucy, Lucy is that. that. That's it, man. That was it. And I'm like, look, just because the woman was a little hunched over like an ape doesn't mean she thought like an ape. Doesn't mean she acted like an ape. She had a different bodily structure. Fine. And maybe she was that gap between the two, but that gap is fused by a rational soul created by the living God. So I just want to throw that out. I mean, we could talk all night about evolution, but it's not bad. And Christianity never wants to throw science out the door. Okay? We are, a, we are a faith that continues to seek the truth. Somebody asked me one time, they're like, what if they found out the dolphins could rationally think? I said, well, then I'd have to rethink my entire theological and philosophical structure. Point is, we haven't got there yet. <clears throat> so, just throwing that out there. All right? Any questions on that before we move on? If you have any questions on the Elaborati, uh, stuff that was written or whatever, go ahead. You can ask me at the break or you can email me or whatever. If anybody tried to email me at my UMary account and I didn't get back to him, sorry, it's broken. I'm trying to get it fixed. Okay, number three from the uh, four reasons for the incarnation. The word became flesh to be our model of holiness. The word became flesh to be our model of holiness. Philip, in uh, the Gospel of John, 14.8, he says, Lord, they're sit I always get a kick out of this because they're sitting at the Last Supper, and I don't know if Philip's just playing with his bread or what he's doing, but it's like he doesn't even hear what Jesus says. Jesus is like the Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, you can't go to the Father unless you go through me. And all of a sudden, Philip, like, kind of out of his daydream, looks up and he's like, Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough. You know, and Philip, or Jesus is like, Philip, have I been with you so long, and still you don't know who I am? It's like you weren't even listening to me. Okay, he taught us the way to act so that our hearts might be transformed into his. But we have to listen to him. There's this part in uh, all the Gospels, especially in Matthew, where he says, if those who have ears ought to hear. Right? Those who have ears ought to hear. I always wondered, why did he say that? I mean, I have ears. I hear. Because there's some people, when they hear the message of Jesus Christ, they don't want to hear it. They shut their ears. 
They turn it away. They push it away. And some people say, just, just a real quick uh, clarity, or clear up here too. Some people say, you know what? I used to be Catholic, but then this person or that person, they did X, Y, or Z, and I'm no longer Catholic because of that. Why is that a bad argument? Right, our faith is based off of Jesus Christ. If you want to leave the Catholic Church, look at Jesus, read everything that he said, learn about him, listen to him, pray with him, and if you are at the end not convinced, then leave. Don't leave because of me. I am going to let you down. I guarantee that. Don't put your faith in me. Don't sit back and say, oh, you know, Father Waltz, I like him. He's a good priest. That's why I'm Catholic. Because if that happens, and something happens to me where I let you down, because I'm probably going to do that, because I'm a human, I'm broken, I'm just trying, just like you guys are, that your faith then falls apart too. This is something I say to, and, and, and I feel so terrible, that you know, it's an atrocity that happened with the, with the sexual abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. It never should have happened. But when I talk to people that have suffered through it, and it's amazing to me, some people are still Christian. They're still Catholic. I say, why? You know, what? How? You know, you, it was such a, an atrocity. And they say, because my faith is not based on the, on the priest. My faith is based on Jesus Christ. And I know that Jesus Christ would never do something like that. That's faith. Okay, so don't ever put your faith in anybody around you. And all these people are saying, oh, the Catholic Church, you know, like there's, there's George, he's in the front row, he's a serial adulterer. Oh, he's there every Sunday to receive the Eucharist. Don't worry about him. Look to Jesus. And I love this line in, the, in the, the last chapter of John's Gospel. It's when Peter's sitting around the fire with Jesus. And he says, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The three, the three professions of love. And Peter says, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then he says, Peter, you are going to be the man. You are going to lead the church. When everything falls apart, I'm looking to you. And you're going to do things that you never thought you could do. And you're going to go to places and suffer in my name. And as he's saying all these things, telling Peter he's going to be the first pope and lead the church, Peter looks back and he looks at John and he sees John walking away. And Jesus gets done with his beautiful gift to give to Peter. And what does Peter say? He doesn't say thank you. He says, what about John? What about him? He's all worried about John. You know, again, like Jesus, I'd just be like, oh my gosh. Like, really, this, I really chose this guy. <laughs> Point is, is, he's just a broken man. But he's been given an insane gift. An insane charism of the Holy Spirit. So don't be worried about other people. We worry about other people all the time. We keep our eyes not focused on Jesus. We keep them focused on others. And the reason we do that is because it makes us feel better. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, sure, I'm doing drugs and partying and having sex, but I'm not killing anybody. I just read about that guy in the paper. That's pretty good. I'm not addicted to meth. I mean, I use meth, but I don't sell it. You know, I mean, there's just constant, we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. Instead of keeping our eyes focused on the Lord. He's our model of holiness. He's the one we should try to be like. You shouldn't try to be like me. You shouldn't try to be like Pope Francis. You should try to be like Monsignor Shea. You shouldn't try to be like Mother Teresa. You should try to be like Jesus. That's how they got their charisms. And the thing is, is that there is only one of them. There is only one Francis of Assisi. You know, that guy ate dirt. God might, I mean, he might be calling you radical poverty, but he's not calling you to be Francis. He called Francis to be Francis. They're there to inspire us, but our eyes need to be focused on the Lord. If we refuse his modeling, his example, his teachings, it will lead to death, not life. You know, it's this lie that's been told to us from the devil himself over and over and over. You know, I, five, you guys, five of my buddies from high school are dead. Five are dead. And these weren't accidents. One was drunk driving, two were suicides, and two were drug overdoses. 
doesn't lead to life. I know, I know, it seems like it does. Life of the party. But ultimately it leads to death in the long term. Why did I put that down? Hmm. Anyway. Anyway, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna skip that. I have to think about that. That's something from my own life. We have to listen and follow him, Jake. Choose his ways over ours. Jesus didn't come just to give us a good piece of advice. He came to be a model. I want you to write down 1 Peter 2.21. First letter of Peter 2.21. That scripture passage is, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would follow in his footsteps. That you would suffer for others. It's all about self-gift. This is what he taught us. Joy in this life comes from giving up, not from taking. The Olympic motto is situs altus fortus. Higher, faster, stronger. Right? I don't think that's a good motto for humanity. I think that's a good model for the Olympic athletes. Sure, they're higher, faster, stronger. That's awesome. I think a good model for humanity, based on what Christ taught us, being our model of holiness, is slower, lower, and weaker. Slower, lower, and weaker. Now, again, I don't want to pull away, you guys. Sit back and be like, oh, you just want us to be losers, you know? You just want us to, like, walk around with our heads down. I don't. I want you to be passionate, but I want your passions to be ordered. So when you play sports, you go out and you give it your all and you damn well better. But you have a focus in mind. You have a focus. That this is about winning. But if it's ruining my soul in the process, it ain't worth it. That my studies, my studies, they're all about me getting my brain to be more, you know, to strengthen it. We need good doctors, we need good lawyers, we need good theologians, we need good philosophers. The problem is, is that when it, when it begins to take over our lives, it supplants the divine. It pulls God out. And Jesus is our model for this. Every time they tried to make him king, what did he do? It says numerous times in the Gospels, they came to make him king. And it said Jesus did what? Read your Bibles. They might know what it says. It says he withdrew and prayed to his father. Jesus knew, right? He, it's not about kingship. It's not about dominion. It's not about like owning everything and having everything. You guys, I just I just got back from Denver. I left Denver this morning. Thank God I got back in time. But while I was out there, I was at this symposium and I had a lot of meetings at the seminary and all this stuff. But on my final day, I got done on Sunday. Monday is a priest's day off. So when I was planning my trip, I was like, well, Sunday, got mass at the seminary, and then I got Monday off. I may as well, I mean, I'm in Colorado for crying out loud, right? If you're in Colorado and you got a day off, what are you going to do? Yeah, ski, snowboard, whatever. So I went to snowboard. It just so happened that we had passes, free passes, to Vail. I don't know if you've ever been to Vail. It was like kind of my one thing, you know, like I always wanted to go there. It's the biggest, it's the biggest resort in the, in North America and it is flipping huge it has I think 37 lifts it's a monstrosity of a place but it is the cream of the crop richest it is the most empty place man I have been in a long time I came sliding in and I'm a pretty I'm a decent snowboard I came in and like every once in a while any of you ski or snowboard you know when you get in lift lines Right, and you're trying to move, but you're trying. You're on skis or a board, and all of a sudden, you, you sometimes you tap the person in front of you, right? Or you like kind of. I tap this guy. He turns around. I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. He's like, I didn't ask you to hit me. Back off. And I'm like, Wow. <laughs> really? Come on, man. You know, like you know, internally and again, this is where we have to like govern ourselves and protect ourselves. Because I was like. I just wanted, like, when he turned back around, bam, you know, like, put your horn, like, whoops, you know. 
But I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the emptiness in that place. And this is just full, and you know, and I, I'm not going to judge all these people. There's great people there too. But you could see it, man. You know, I went and got a, a sandwich with $17. $17 for a sandwich. That's ridiculous. Lift tickets were $150. Well, luckily, we, got in, we didn't have to pay, but it was just insane. The place, like, we knew this guy who was staying there. That's how we got the tickets. We went and visited him. He's a, he's a good man. But his condo, this tiny little three-bedroom condo, was $5 million. I mean, this place is just ridiculous. And it's full. You can tell it's full of people that have made pleasure their God. That they have let all these things supplant God. That their model is no longer Christ. It's not about giving. It's about taking. It's about having. And everybody's in a rat race there. It's, it's sick. Like it was a neat experience. I don't ever want to go back to Vail. Take me to Red Lodge. Little mountain skiing in Montana. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's just insane how much we supplant God for these stupid things. So to keep Christ as your model of holiness. And that it's not higher, faster, stronger. Because in the end, it's slower, lower, weaker. Because what's going to happen to everybody in this room? You're all going to die. And you're all going to probably suffer real bad before it happens. Some not so much. You know? When do you really experience who you are? When you suffer. You ever notice that? You ever notice like when you're really, really sick, parties don't matter, you know? All the pleasure gods just seem to kind of fall away and you just sit and just mellow in your own stinky sickness. You ever experience that? I experience that all the time. You know, I'm like fired up to go on a vacation. I'm like, I can't wait. And all of a sudden I get sick and I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere. Oh, just lay here. And you think like the whole world's crashing. At least I do. I'm a hypochondriac. I think I'm dying all the time. Right? I had like this sore in my back the other day when I woke up, and I'm like, I got cancer. <laughs> and all of a sudden, wait, I was like, I was snowboarding yesterday. <laughs> you know, like it was, I was this one time. My brother's like, oftentimes cancer doesn't like announce itself by sharp pains after snowboarding. You know, <laughs> like, it's usually a little more hidden than that. So anyway, but the. The, the model is to be slower, lower, and weaker. Why slow? Well, because we're dumb. You know why Jesus compares us to sheep? You know why he calls himself the good shepherd? He says, you are all the sheep. You know why he says that? It's not because sheep are cuddly. And just fluffy and like fun. And little lambs, you know, like they're just the cutest thing in the world. That's not what Jesus means when he calls us sheep. What does he mean? You're dumb. Sheep are like the dumbest animals in the world. Right, ladies? Thank you. You talk to any, any rancher, anybody that has sheep, they're stupid. Stupid, stupid animals. They never learn. Okay, so we're slow. We're lower. Why are we low? Why should this be our, why should this be our model? Slower, lower, weaker. Why should it be? The, we're, we're, we're slow because we're dumb. We're low. Why? Huh? Right, but even, even more than that, just looking at our condition. I mean, are we gods? No, man. I mean, we hardly ever get it right. We're like base bottom. Damn near stupid animals. We are not as mighty and almighty as we think we are. And weaker. Why weaker? Everybody thinks they're so strong. So tough, so, you know, like, there's a certain part of me, and you can never do this, but I've thought about this, <laughs> is, you know, you get these guys that are so arrogant, and just, I control the entire world, right? Big businessmen, multi-billionaires, you know, just to get them and be like, you know, who the hell do you think you are? You know, like, if I came up, and I was serving him, and I brought him the wrong wine, you know, and like, they're like, get this worthless pile of crap server out of here. He's, you know, I'm not even paying. This is the most worth. I'd love to just pull out a gun and just hold it to his head. And say, how tough are you now? How strong are you now? Because your life's about to end. 
You know, again, you can't do stuff like that, but it sure would be fun. And I think it would get a point across. You know? Especially in, in sports, too. Man, you get athletes that are just so freaking, oh, you know? That even people are like that. Like, they, they just see it, and they're just repulsed by it. You're not that good. You're not a god. You know? You, and they've been talking all this trash, and they go up, you know, to dunk the ball, and they slam it, and they come down and twist their ankle. And guess what? They blow out their ankle, their knee, their whole leg, and they're done. Game over. It's all over. Now nobody gives a damn who you are. We are weak, right? I mean, deep down, we are weak. We are not strong. So always remember, that's the model. And he shows it to us, you guys. This is not something I'm just trying to make up. I'm trying to base the life of Jesus off of how he lived. Could he have done higher, faster, stronger? Yeah. Could have. And in fact, at certain times in his Godhead, he does, but he makes it very clear that it's God, it's his Father. It's not him. So learn to listen. And he gives us ultimately kind of the Magna Carta of the teaching of Jesus Christ. And you should write this down, right? This is the model love one another as I have loved you. A story of uh, John the Apostle, right? Because this, this line, love one another as I have loved you, that comes from John's Gospel. Why did John write it and the other ones didn't? Because the other ones talk about loving, you know, serving, laying down your life. But only John wrote, love one another as I have loved you. They said that John, in his 80s, he lived to be 80, maybe even 90. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. He was the bishop. And uh, whenever they would come to him with a dispute, they said he would just weep. He would just weep and he'd just say, just love one another. And what does love one another mean? It doesn't mean I'm okay, you're okay. You know, John is not saying when they come to this dispute, he's just like, you guys, just, you know, let it go, man. Like, I always, I always picture people's understanding of Jesus and the apostles like these hippies that are stoned all the time. Like, just love, man. Just let it, it's cool, just let it go. And by the way, in Colorado, there, I mean, you thought they were hippies before? Holy cow, are people stoned there. It's legal, you know? So, I mean, everybody's stoned. There's all these t-shirts, and all they talk about is getting high. Right? Vail had said, this must be the highest city in the world. Because, <laughs> you know, because it's at like 13,000 or 12,000 feet away. Anywho, just got out of the but, but John is saying, what's he saying? Start sacrificing for one another. In one sense, he is saying, let it go. Just love them. That means will their good. Sacrifice your own damn ego, maybe just once. Once, maybe. But he would weep and just say, just love. Love one another as I have loved you. His statement, along with all the other teachings he gave us, give us a way to live, a measure, an objective standard. Without it, we are simply wandering with no purpose, and this is dangerous. Remember the surfing story. We got nowhere to put, our, got nowhere to put my feet down. Almost died, so I have no point of reference. All right, number four. The Word became flesh so that we might be partakers of the divine nature. The Word became flesh so that we might be partakers of the divine nature. Underneath that one, without number four, <clears throat> number three is impossible. The Word became flesh so that we might be partakers of the divine nature. Without number four, number three is impossible. What do I mean by that? Love one another as I have loved you. Love your enemies. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure of heart. All these teachings he gives us. He cannot expect us to do it on our own. You know, love your enemies. I can barely love my family. How am I supposed to love those who I hate? Because Jesus Christ, it's, 
It's important to know, you know, like when Jesus, at the resurrection, right, what is the first thought that goes through Jesus' head? I'm assuming this is what went through his head. When he kind of like comes to, you know? Because he's dead. You know, all of a sudden, he, what's his thought? Huh? I'm the man. Yeah, like, oh, I'm the man. <laughs> it worked! <laughs> you know, I was a little skeptical there, Dad, but it worked! <clears throat> no, his first thought is finally they can live. St. Augustine said, God became man. You should write this down. St. Augustine said, God became man so that Man might become God. God became man so that man might become God. <clears throat> What's Augustine mean? So the, the human form could partake in the divine form. Right. So that the, the human form could partake in the divine form. The human nature could, take, could partake in the divine nature. The point being is when God fuses himself to humanity, he receives all of humanity upon him. Remember when we talked about that last week? Everything. All the sins. All the disease. All the hatred. All the everything. But what's the good news about that? The good news is it's reciprocal. Not only does he take everything upon us, but it, through the power of the resurrection, now he communicates everything that he is to us. But it is so important to know this, you guys. That this divine life is subject to free will. That is the key. This divine life that he wants to give to us is subject to free will. What does that mean? You can choose it or not. Right. We can receive it or not. <clears throat> and God had to do this, right? Everybody's like, I don't know why when Jesus died, he just didn't like, why didn't he just give us it all right away? Well, first of all, because that's not how he lived, he lived his own life. And number two, because the very one that wants to communicate this divine life also created what? Free will. So all of it stands on, like, it just teeters on this fence of choice. And it's not like you can just say, and this is, again, this is a fundamentalist sort of Protestant view. You know, they say often, are you saved? You know? And I'm like, well, yeah, I think, I, you know, I'm on my way. I don't know if I'm saved. I mean, Jesus, Jesus wants me to be saved. His every desire is for me to be saved. All I have to do is choose it. And their argument is, no, you choose it once. Once you choose it, it's yours. Well, that's kind of, I have a problem with that just based on human anthropology, who we are as human beings. Because if I can say, if I can literally, in a very powerful moment, and this, is a, this could be really real, where I'm experiencing the living God, where I'm experiencing the Holy Spirit, and I say, I choose Jesus Christ from this day forward. And that could be real. And that could be beautiful. But the problem is, is we are not angels. We don't make one choice. We make choice after choice after choice after choice. So it's not like I can just profess the name of Jesus and be done with it. Because if that's the case, I mean, frick, who wouldn't do that? Like, I profess the name of Jesus, I'm saved. Now I can go and have sex with my girlfriend. I mean, is that turning us into Jesus? I love one of my priest buddies, you know, when, <clears throat> when a couple comes in, a, a couple that's getting married, and he sits down and he says, are you sleeping together? And they say, yeah. And he says, do you believe Jesus is God? Yeah, we do. Do you think Jesus is pleased with you two having sex before the sacrament of marriage which he instituted? He said, hands down, every time, they're just like, no, Father. 
right? He wants us every single choice to choose him. And again, remember the model of holiness? What did he do in every moment of his life? He chose the Father. Every single time he chose the Father. Even to the point of dying on the cross. He didn't come and say one time, the Father is my Father. The Father and I are one. All right, let's get on to the miracles. Day in and day out, he chose to do the Father's will. And that's what we have to do. And the good news is, you can do it, but you have to go to him. You have to keep him as the priority. Make him your model of holiness. And enter into his salvific act in the forgiveness of sins. And receive divine life into you through the sacraments that the church gives us. Actually, which Christ gave us through the church. That's how the divine life is communicated. I love that when C.S. Lewis, when he says, nobody, you know, nobody asked God when he, when he made sex. Nobody asked him how to do it. He just did it. Just like now, nobody asked God how he was going to communicate the divine life to us. But he did through baptism, belief, and communion. Right? These are the four reasons, right? This is why I believe, based on these four, this is why I believe he is the objective standard. And that with every ounce of my being, I'm trying to follow him. I suck at it. I fall. I'm weak. I'm broken. But I believe that he is the objective standard. Because every time I live it, and every time I talk to people that live it and try to keep him at the center and pray to him and ask him for his help and seek his will in all things, they are the most joyful people on the planet. I don't know, if, I can't remember if I told you guys this or not. Maybe I think I did, maybe I didn't. But even if I did, I'll tell you again. There's this, there's this movie called The End of the Great Silence. Did I tell you this? It's about these Carthusian monks. Carthusian monks are like, so you have all the orders, the Dominicans, the Jesuits, the Franciscans, all these different orders. The Carthusians are the hardest of the hardcore. There is nobody more hardcore than the Carthusians. They like, they bathe once a week. They sleep on the floor. They have no electricity. When they, they keep a grand silence so they never speak. When they pass one another in the hallway, the only thing they say to one another is, remember your death, brother. <laughs> Sounds like morbid, right? <laughs> well, they made this movie about them. It's a three-hour-long movie, and it's totally silent. Nobody speaks. And at the end of that movie, they asked the film crew, what, what was the most like mysterious thing about these guys? Because they're weird. If you're a, if you're a secular, you know, worldly person looking inward, you're like, those guys are freaking weird. They said the most amazing thing that we discovered in our filming, it was like a six-week six filming, is that everybody thinks that these guys are the most miserable men on the planet. And in truth, we have never met more joyful and more happy men in our entire lives. This is a secular filming crew said this. They said the joy that these men have is untouchable. And you just want to be around them. They don't speak, but you just want to be with them. That's the divine life that God gave, not only going into them, but radiating out of them. Why did people want to be around Mother Teresa? Why, when you got near John Paul II, did you start crying? It's because they radiate divine life. They live according to these principles, and they're the happiest people on the planet. And they're not weird. They're not weird. You know, I think it's at St. Mary's High School. They put, they're doing The Rock. It's this little, like, youth rally four times a, a year. And they, we always have, like, themes. And this one is Jesus is real, not weird. Okay. So, anyway, let's move on. The next section I want to go into is what I call, I don't remember what I call it. Okay, now, my, my, my plan is, is to move from relativism and objective truth and into Jesus being the objective standard. That if you believe that, if you're with me thus far, or if even if you're at the point of saying, I think you're a little weird, Father, but I'll keep listening. Okay? And, I'm, and I'll go with the point that you're saying that Jesus is the objective standard. Okay? Well, if that's true, okay, 
then that means that Jesus and the sacred scriptures and all this stuff, that this is all real. And in fact, God really has something to say, not just about mankind in general, right? So this love one another as I have loved you being the Magna Carta objective truth of the Christian life so that you live lives of, of peace, joy, and, and fruitfulness, but that he actually has something to say about man and woman. And it's conveyed to us not only through the person of Jesus Christ and his, and his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, but it's also conveyed to us in the Old Testament as well. That God has sort of a plan. I shouldn't say sort of. God has a plan, <laughs> right, for what a man is and for what a woman is. And the first thing I want to talk about is the crisis of masculinity in the modern world, okay? And so I just put together this little PowerPoint. Maybe it's stupid. I don't know. I, I had some fun with it, but you might think it's dumb. I don't even know if you're going to recognize some of the people in it, because it, I took some, some older stuff. And, anyway, so redefining masculinity and femininity, okay? Now, remember, this is where we're going to move into what John Eldridge says. And, and remember, this, just for the record, because you might sit back and say, Father Waltz, you're kind of hating on the Protestants a lot, right? I can't believe I said that. Hating on the Protestants. You're always kind of coming down on Protestant Christianity. John Eldridge is, is a Protestant. So I, and, and, and for the record, so is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was an Anglican. Now, I mean, again, if, I think if, if Lewis was still alive and he saw where the Anglican church was, he'd definitely, most definitely be a Catholic. Because back when he was alive, the Anglicans and the Catholics were very, very close. And he had his own issues, too. We don't want to talk about that. Anyway. So I, I use Protestant Christians, right? I remember Archbishop Sheen, he always said, one of his favorite, Archbishop Sheen, if you don't know who he is, you should really just Google him or YouTube him and just watch just one of his things. He's an incredible teacher, an incredible preacher of the 20th century. And uh, he, he was talking to these priests. He gave this retreat to priests. And he said to him, he said, when you pray, you should always read the scripture, but you should not go in empty-handed. You should always take a commentary in to read with the scripture because you're not as smart as you think you are. And they said, and I recommend to you William Barclay. He's an amazing scripture scholar. And he's got this like deep voice, and it's just, he's so animated, and he's like, oh, oh, I know. But Archbishop, he's a Protestant. And then she's like, well, good God, a Mormon put the lights in in this place. <laughs> You know, and he goes on, he's like, he's like, our brothers have something to say about Jesus. They do. And we should listen to them. And they should listen to us. Right? So I use whoever is explaining it most appropriately that will get it, I hope, will get across to you. So it's not this high, high, high theological read that nobody freaking understands. Even though it's the truth, you can be like, I don't know, I, uh. When I give you something like a John Eldridge, you can read it and you can be like, I get this. This makes sense to me. Because we're ignorant in our theology. We are not at the level that we should be. We are not at university level education when it comes to our faith. So we need something that's a little lower before we get into the higher stuff, okay? So, before I get into my redefining masculinity and femininity, <clears throat> understand the heart of masculinity, okay? The first thing is adventure. This is written into men's hearts. And again, you can sit back and be like, well, this is not in my heart, and I'm a man. Okay? It is in some form. It might not be like you're the guy that, you know, barefoot rock climbs, you know, some mountain while you're eating a dead rat up at the top. You know what I mean? Like, you might not be that guy. But you do enjoy adventure. Men enjoy adventure in whatever form it comes, okay? It's written into our hearts. Men need a place that is not fabricated. They were born in the wild from the very beginning, right? It says that. Book of Genesis. You're taken out of the dirt in the wilderness. Men have always been in the wild. If you look at biblical texts, I just want to name a few. You should know these. Moses. Where does Moses encounter God? In the desert. In the burning bush. Okay? And that's the wilderness. And I've been to Egypt. I've been to the Sinai Peninsula. If you guys ever get to go there, you will never, ever want to go again. I remember when I first got there, I was so jacked up. And then I was just like, this place is awful. 
It's awful. And they were there for 40 years. You know, part of me was like, either Moses was a terrible guide, you know, or like they were the worst hikers ever. How do you get lost in that tiny little place for 40 years? You know, at some point, come forward and be like, Moses, I mean, like, I, you're a great guy. I mean, you brought us out of Egypt, all the plagues, you know, but we're going on 30 years here. <laughs> this isn't the most inhabitable place. I like the manna in the morning, you know, that's nice, but maybe you should get a compass. <laughs> you know? I don't know what that was like, but I mean, the mo- it, it, was, it was dark. It was dark. Second, Jacob. Remember, where does Jacob encounter God? Do you know the story of Jacob encountering God? Doesn't he wrestle him? Huh? He wrestles him. Good. What'd you say? No. <laughs> he wrestles him in the desert. He wrestles all night long. Okay. Elijah. Where does Elijah encounter God? Mountain. On the mountain. In the Sinai Peninsula. Again, for some reason, God really liked that desert nastiness. How about John the Baptist? Where's John the Baptist? In the desert. In the wilderness. <clears throat> All these guys, these major players, even Jesus. Where does Jesus... Now, Jesus is God. So where does Jesus encounter the devil? In the desert. In the wilderness. It's all over the scriptures. And the question that haunts a man's heart is, what was I made for? Who really, really, who am I? What was I made for? I remember just a story from my own life. When I was at college, I woke up one morning, um, and I remember laying in bed. It was it's such a stark, it's crystal clear in my mind. It was after a long weekend. I was laying in my bed, and I was sitting there. And I was like, I, I was in my last semester of college. Um, I had my degree. I was working on a second degree. Uh, I had a job lined up, like in like making like fifty, sixty thousand straight out of college, dating a beautiful girl for about a year and a half. I remember for some reason God put on my heart one morning, I was just laying in bed and I'm like, is this it? Like it isn't there more like there's gotta be more to this life. I just remember laying there and just like I was totally depressed. <laughs> just you know, I, everything was right. Everything was awesome. Like, most of my buddies in the landscape architecture department didn't have jobs, you know? They didn't have internships or whatever. And I had everything. And I was sitting back and I'm like, there's got to be more. What am I missing? Right? And there's more to that. Uh, We can talk about that more later. Society cannot make up its mind about men. For the last 30 years, it's been redefining masculinity and femininity. Okay? So I'll show you just a few things from the media about how stuff is, is redefined. So hopefully this makes sense, okay? The player versus the bad girl. So you have this idiot, right, who all he thinks about is women and how many he can get into bed. And then you have the girl who's just a B word uh, who constantly causes drama and sleeps with as many guys as she can while she parties really hard showing off her boobs or something like that. I mean. That is kind of how it's been redefined. So we'll see if this even works. Get the out of here. This is all for We're getting our bathing suits. We're getting our bathing Come on, Nicole, really? Busted! Busted! It's t shirt time! I get a taxi for six people. And they come for you, sir? Yes. And what is your name, sir? Situation. Huh? Situation. He's a sneakiest bitch you'll ever meet! Ha <laughs> ha
Oh yeah, wake up yeah. It's a beautiful day in Miami Beach, Florida, ladies and gentlemen. I just heard that you guys are mad at me, but I ain't doing things. <laughs> so I'm mad at you for being mad at me for no reason. So try and talk to me, I'm mad. <laughs> Who's this? Can I speak to Angelina, please? No, she died. Chris, 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 point I remember I was in the jacuzzi and I finally put some water on my face I was like, oh, like we got grenades <laughs> and then once in a while I'll probably look at me like yeah, no, keep going dog you want half <laughs> anyway you get the point <laughs> this is what men were depicted as and what women were depicted as and then people start like you know, we, when we, remember when we were talking about the principle, I mean, maybe you don't, it wasn't that long ago, the principle of self-actualization. Remember, the principle of self-actualization is that the choices you make define and make you into the person you will become. So you start watching this, you watch it long enough, you will start becoming these people. I mean, you'd be a classic example, and I don't think women ever get to see this, but they almost should, is a men's locker room and what men talk about in that locker room. They would be, ladies, you would be amazed at what is said. And I don't know about women's locker rooms because I've never been to one. What goes on in them, I don't know. But what is said, especially about the opposite sex, is appalling. It's appalling. Okay? Now, I don't even know what, what order I have these in, so hopefully... Oh yeah, the idiot father. This is the longest running cartoon ever in the history of TV. If you gotta be dumb, you gotta be tough. But you gotta remember, this, this is a dad. I ain't the sharpest knife in the door, but I know enough to know. It is stupid, but you know how many people watch this freaking show? Hey, I'm not going to go through all of them. Anyway, is the media mirroring society or society mirroring the media? That's a question we have to ask. Because what's happening? Is, is society just putting, is, is the media just showing us what society is like? Or is society watching the media and then becoming that? I would make an argue, uh, argument for the second one. You gotta check this out, okay? You remember that, that uh, Miley Cyrus video, Wrecking Ball? Where she sings around naked on a wrecking ball for some reason? <laughs> this video of a GVSU student riding, a na riding naked on a Miley Cyrus-esque wrecking ball was removed this week. An American university has been forced to remove a campus sculpture of a wrecking ball for safety reasons after students kept riding it naked to recreate Miley Cyrus's controversial music video. Who's mirroring who? Yeah, that society is mirroring the media. They see, nope, who on earth would have thought up of riding a wrecking ball naked? I mean, I will give Miley Cyrus the benefit of the doubt in the sense that she came up with a very original music video. Nobody had ever tried that before. <laughs> you know, like, what are you thinking? Wrecking ball, what are you thinking? Uh, I think I'm gonna get on a wrecking ball naked and swing around. Okay, that's something new, right? So yes, yeah, society. We watch this stuff, and then you look. You look at how guys behave. You know, like look at look at the way they act when they're at parties. Looks a lot like Jersey Shore. Women look a lot like Jersey Shore. Doing the same stupid stuff. All the drama. All the crap. They're taking for their model, not of holiness, but their model of life. Characters depicted on the TV screen. I remember talking to. I think her name is Leah Darrow. She was, uh, she's a Catholic speaker. She was on America's Next Top Model. Remember that show? Remember Next, Next Top Anyway, she was on that and she said, she came and gave this talk. She, she came in like, 
Anybody know? Does anybody remember her? She, what, she came in like fourth or fifth, I think, or third. I don't know. Anyway, she, she, so she made it really far. And uh, she said she almost lost her soul. And she said, you don't realize these reality TV shows, they literally tape you 24 hours a day. You go to bed with a mic on <clears throat> and a camera's on you as you sleep. And then they just tape and tape and tape and then they cut and paste and make you appear in whatever way they want. You know, so how much of reality is actually being conveyed through reality TV? And you can sit back and be like, Father, I don't know why we're covering this. Because this is redefining who we are as men and women. It is absolutely redefining who we are. Human beings have the right, they think, in the modern day and age, to redefine sexuality. They take, they put themselves, remember we're try, trying to get away from this idea that we're not gods. We're not the big G's, we're little G's. Come on, that's funny. Little G's. Then, we need virtuous fraternity. This is one of my favorite. This is just a little movie clip. I don't know if you've seen it. Ladies, maybe you haven't. Men, if you haven't, you need to. It just reminds me so much. Like, how do we get to be good men? We need virtuous fraternity. This is one of the most beautiful ones I could find. I know how you feel about this fight that's coming up because I was young once too. And I tell you something. Well, if he wasn't here, he I probably wouldn't be alive today. The fact that you're here and doing as well as you're doing gives me what do you call it, a motivation, huh? To stay alive. Cause I think that people die sometimes when they don't want to live no more. Nature's smarter than people think. And nature is smarter than people think. Little by little we lose our friends, we lose everything. We keep losing and losing until we say, you know, oh, what the hell am I living around here for? I got no reason to go on. But when you get it, boy, I got a reason to go on. And I'm going to stay alive. And I will watch you make good. And I'll never leave you. And I'll never leave you until that happens. Because when I leave you, you'll not only know how to fight, you'll be able to take care of yourself outside the ring, too. Is that okay? It's okay. Okay. Now, I got a little gift for you. Oh, um, No, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Really? <laughs> Look at this. See that? This is the favorite thing that I have on this earth. And Rocky Marciano give me that. You know what it was? His cufflink. Huh? And now I'm giving it to you. And it, it's got to be like a, like an angel on your shoulder, see? And if you ever get hurt, and you feel that you're going down, this little angel is going to whisper in your ear. He's going to say, get up, you son of a bitch. Because <laughs> Mickey loves you. Thanks, mate. All right. I love you too. See this? Go after him, kid. Go ahead. So what we need is virtuous return. We need we need models like that. You know? We need good men that form us. Half the problem is, I, I would I would seriously make the argument, half the problem masculinity is falling apart, and why most guys are idiots is because they had no father. They had no decent father figure to teach them how to sacrifice, how to love, how to give. All they saw was dad taking and getting whatever he wanted. And so they modeled that. 
know, I mean, it's, it's classic. I mean, this is, this is modern pop psychology, man. Dad's an alcoholic, you have a pretty damn good chance of being an alcoholic unless you break that chain. Like my own dad, man, he broke that chain. We got it in our family, we have a whole long line of alcoholics. Crazy alcoholics. I can tell you all stories about that later, maybe after class if you want to hear them. They're, they're crazy, crazy people. And my dad, he stopped drinking. He gave up drinking. <clears throat> I don't know how many years ago it was now, 25 years, maybe 30 years ago? And it broke the line. It broke the chain. It gave us something different to model. We need good fraternity. Men need good fraternity. They need people around them to teach them how to be men. Instead, what happens is young men just gather up with their friends and they learn how to be men from watching TV or listening to music. You know, I tried to find, I was going to try to find a video like of what not to do as a man. And one of the things I thought of was Lil Wayne. Right? Lil Wayne, I already went on a rant about him, but I tried to find a video. I couldn't find a video I could show in class. That's how bad his videos are. And you go around, like, I, you know, when you drive, I'm driving around Bismarck, and I hear Lil Wayne, you know, in the summer when you got your windows down? I hear Lil Wayne bouncing out of people's cars. Like, that's forming you. I mean, the stuff that that guy says about women, holy cow. It's, it's disgusting. I couldn't even get through a whole like song. Not only because I hate his voice so much, but his lyrics are just terrible. And who's and here's the thing: who's forming men? The media's forming men. Think about how much time you spend on your phone. Think about how much time you spend on your computer. Something else is forming men? Pornography. Pornography is forming men. Yeah, it's the big P word. Nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody else wants to keep it quiet. And just let it destroy the world. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. It makes more money than the franchises of the NHL, NBA, NFL, and MLB put together. That means all their money, all their ancillary markets, all their players, all their stadiums, everything combined. Pornography makes more than that. Instead of talking about it, because I'm running out of time, I have a CD I'm going to give you in a couple weeks that I'm going to have you listen to. It's by Jason Everett, who's one of my favorite speakers in the Catholic world. It's called Porn Detox. And I want you to listen to that, both men and women, because they're both suffering from it. And it's doing something to humanity. You know, he, says in, he says in that talk, he says that they've studied the, the, the brain in, with pornographic images, that when the, when the brain sees that, especially in men, but in women too, it releases, I can't remember, I think it's dopamine, right? And it causes the same high that cocaine does. And everybody, I mean, who wants to legalize cocaine? Nobody. We have whole SWAT teams that try to put an end to cocaine. But pornography, come on in. Welcome. It's a welcome guest. Yeah. It ain't hurting anybody. You'd be surprised who it hurts. Not including yourself, but everybody else that's involved in the industry. All this stuff is forming you. You sit back and you be like, well, I tried praying. Really? Well, did you try shutting all this other shit off? That's a big question. You know, when I, 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 have, when, when I get home, like I have a couple things that I just stand by to keep me disconnected. And that is I, have, I never have internet on my phone. Just get it locked out. Because you know how much time, I, I see everybody. We just waste time on that stupid thing. You know, like, I, you can't even, like, you can't even relax anymore because you got to check your Facebook. You got to check your Twitter account. You know, I wonder, I want to get to this really quick because this is a good point about internet. I might have to skip around. Ah, keep going, keep going. Woo! Right? Back then, yeah. Those were simpler times, I think. I just feel like we may be going back to that, by the way. But uh, in a way, good, because when I read things like, the foundations of capitalism are shattering. I'm like, maybe we need that. Maybe we need some time where we're walking around with a donkey with pots playing on the sides. You, you think know? that would just bring us back to reality? Yeah, because everything is amazing right now and nobody's happy. Like, in my lifetime, the changes in the world have been incredible. When I was a kid, we had a rotary phone. We had a phone that you had to stand next to. 
and you have to dial it. Yes. You don't, you don't realize how primitive, you're making sparks <laughs> in a phone, and you actually would hate people with zeros in their numbers because it was more, it's like, oh, this guy's got two zeros, screw that guy, why do I want <laughs> And then if, you, if they called and you weren't home, the phone would just ring lonely by itself. And then if you wanted money, you had to go in the bank. For, when yes. it was open for like three hours, you had to stand in line, write yourself a check like an idiot. And then when you ran out of money, you just go, well, I can't do any more things now. I can't do any more That's things. That's it, yeah. That was it. And even if you had a credit card, they, the guy would go, oh, can he bring out this whole shunk shunk? Can he write? Yeah. Oh, but you have to call the president to see if you have any money. It's all true, kids. You had to call the president, yeah. It was ridiculous. Yes. Do you feel that we now. In the 21st century, we take technology for granted. Well, yeah, because now we live in an, in an amazing, amazing world, and it's wasted on the on the crappiest generation of just spoiled idiots that don't care because this is what people are like now. They got their phone, and they're like, ugh, it won't. Give it a second. It's going to space. Can you give it a second to get back from space? Is this I was on an airplane and there was internet, high-speed internet on the airplane. That's yes. the newest thing that I know exists. And I'm sitting on the plane and they go, open up your laptop, you can go on the internet. And it's fast and I'm watching YouTube, but it's, I'm in an airplane. And then it breaks down and they apologize, the internet's not working. The guy next to me goes, this is bull <laughs> Like how quickly the world owes him something. Yes. He knew existed only 10 seconds ago. Right. Right. And on planes... Flying is the worst one because people come back from flights and they tell you their story. And it's like a horror story. It's they act like their flight was like a cattle car in the 40s in Germany. That's yeah. how bad they make it sound. Right. They're like, it was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. We had to sit there. Oh really, what happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero? <laughs> You're flying! It's amazing! Everybody on every plane should just constantly be going, Oh my God! Wow! Yes! You're flying! You're, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yes! Now, Lily, it doesn't go back a lot. And it's not really... You know, here's the thing. People, like, they say there's delays on flights. Delays, yeah. really? New York to California in five hours. That used to take 30 years. <laughs> you a bunch of you would die on the way there and have a baby. You'd be a whole different group of people by the time you got there. <laughs> now you watch a movie and you take a dump in your home. Yeah. <laughs> well, nicer way to say it than that, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, um... So yeah, let's let's take a quick break on that note. <clears throat> and uh, let's say what time is it? Eight. Holy crap. Okay, 8.05, five minutes.